Well, good morning again. Good morning. Uh, beautiful music, beautiful testimonies, more to come. Uh, Pastor Dave and I are going to do something a little bit different on this 12th anniversary, tag teaming on the title, The Grace Life. You can see that in your bulletins this morning. And this morning, I want to talk with you for a few minutes on the subject of grace, on grace. And then he's going to lead us home by sharing more practically on life. And so these two brief messages, when they are combined, will be the grace life, the grace life. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, it was in August of 2011 that a few of us began meeting and planning to begin now what is known as Grace Life Church. And the the name Grace Life was really rarely in use at that time. Perhaps a, a few churches uh, were using it. Uh, it was most known in John MacArthur's church. Some of you know this. They had a fellowship group. They still have it, numbering over 250 people. And uh, Phil Johnson and at the time Don Green, now Mike Riccardi, um, are leading that group. And they use that name, Grace Life. And Pastor Dave suggested it should be our church's name. We all agreed. And we have even added a tagline from time to time, where grace meets life. Grace Life, where grace meets life. You'll see that every once in a while we'll use that. And that is the grace life where the grace of God is lived out in the lives of his people. Grace life. You know, our first service was held on Sunday, September 25th, 2011 at the historic Purcell Friendship Hall. That's on the campus of uh, Milton Hershey School. And we had, as said earlier, over 80 people in attendance, and it was a memorable day. It was with our founding pastor uh, preaching, interestingly, a a message also entitled The Grace Life. And our first service here in this building would come quickly just two months later, in uh, a little over two months, December 4th, 2011. And then after leasing this vacant school building for over five years, We were then able to purchase it on March 28th, 2017. And as you heard Rick pray, we are grateful that we are here. Certainly that God has given us this building here on 934. You know, there's a a Romans 828 story for another day. I'm not going to tell it today. Some of you know it as to how we even purchased the building. Hit one of us uh, offline and we'll be happy to tell you that. But I'd like to briefly answer two questions in our time together this morning. The first question is, what is grace? What is grace? And the second is, what does grace look like? What does grace look like? So the first question, what is grace? And grace can be defined really in two ways, the the very foundation of the gospel and also of all human experience. It's the very foundation of the gospel and of all human experience. First, grace is given in a saving soul, and second, in simply living a life. So grace is given to the believer, and we know that as saving grace, and to all of humanity, we know that as common grace, and it's common because it's common to all mankind, that he gives us our intellect, he gives us the innovation that we have. Even the rain that is falling right now comes from our God, and that's common grace. Grace is the very foundation of the gospel and of all human experience. 
And so we find the word often in our Bibles, 120 to- 122 times it's used, the word grace is used in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. 114, it's found in the New Testament. And get this, there's 78 times that the Apostle Paul mentions it in his writing. So two-thirds are in Paul's writings, which makes us really understand why he is called the Apostle of Grace, the Apostle of Grace. In fact, Paul experienced God's grace as few others did because he endured suffering as few others did. Now, not too long ago in my uh, devotion time, I had read through 2 Corinthians, and I saw Paul writing that letter as a man who was unloved, who was unappreciated, who was distrusted, and, and even deeply troubled in his soul. And in 12, 9, chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord gave him one of the most profound truths in all of Revelation. I think this is familiar to you. It, it, he, he said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. And that wonderful promise extends to each of us in grace. You know, grace gives us humility. Grace gives us dependence. Grace uh, gives us contentment. Uh, even the strength to endure. That is divine grace. It is all of God. Which brings us to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Grace is the dominant word here. And we don't have time to do a full review of the first 10 verses. But look at this extremely familiar passage in Ephesians 2. The end of verse 5. Ephesians 2 verse 5. The end of it there. By grace you have been saved. So the Apostle Paul inserts this statement, this spiritual reality into this letter, and he repeats it even again in verse 8. You see that in verse 8? For by grace you have been saved. So if you, if you want to understand salvation, you must lay hold of this statement. Perhaps the shortest sentence summarizing the gospel and why Paul repeats this point. Both of these, in this chapter, they reinforce Paul's worshipful declaration that it is God and God alone who's lavished his grace upon us. God is a God of grace. Our eternal lives, they they depend upon it. They depend upon him and his grace. None of us, none of us would be saved if grace were not undeserved favor and were not a quality in the mind of God, in the, the heart of God in the, if we could say, the nature of God. Grace is what inclines God to give gifts that are free and undeserved. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited, undue, unwarranted. Unwarranted? Yeah, unwarranted. You never, ever deserved it. Grace alone is what the Reformers taught, sola gratia, grace alone. Grace always accomplishes everything it aims to do, all by itself. And it is only because of his grace, because of his favor, that we are recipients of both his common and saving grace. Now, his his common grace, as I said earlier, is a a love that touches every man and, and woman and child with intellect and innovation. Again, even today's rain that we're hearing right now, Matthew 5.45 says he sends the rain on the just 
and the unjust. That is common grace. But then we have his saving grace. And his saving grace is rooted in a loving holiness which resulted in him giving his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue and to redeem us. Now, something that I uh, started to really see for the first time here uh, this week as I was looking at Ephesians 2, you know how you can read a passage and, and certain phrases and even the cadence of them are so familiar to you that there are words that kind of get tucked in the shadow, kind of underneath there. And if you look at the end of verse 7, this happened to me this week. I mean, I, I guess I knew these words. I Obviously, I, I know this verse. I think you know this verse. But it reads here, His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I kind of missed that before. His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, God gave us the, the very opposite of wrath, right? And he graciously bestowed on us the favor and blessing Christ deserved. In Christ Jesus is what those words say. And Paul parallels his, his definition of grace previously with the fact that God has acted, it says, again, I had missed these words, in kindness. In kindness. You know, Paul elsewhere, he speaks of God's kindness in providing salvation. In Titus 3, uh, verses 4 and 5, he says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. And so this kindness of grace, kindness of grace, comes from the one who is full of grace. One of the most wonderful statements about our Lord is found in John chapter 1, that he was, in verse 14, full of grace. And of the fullness, verse 16 says, we've all received grace upon grace. For years, I've told my family as we've looked at the ocean waves that that is that verse, grace upon grace. When you see the ocean's waves, they just keep folding one on another, on another, on another, and they seem like they never, ever stop. Grace upon grace. Such grace is ours each day. It is unlimited and sufficient for every need. So that's what grace is is, number two here, what does grace look like? Just briefly, what does grace look like? And let me ask it also this way. What are the visible testaments, the the proofs, the, the evidences of his grace here in the past 12 years in this church body at Grace Life? What does grace look like? Well, we have many benefits from many grace gifts in this church. And if I could just put them in two categories, just to keep this succinct this morning, I would say one is spiritual, a spiritual well-being, and another is a physical well-being, physical well-being. Spiritual well-being, where we are fed and edified, is a grace gift from God here at Grace Life Church. The Word of God is central in the pulpit and each of our ministries. I know you know this, but we are grateful for this. You know, there have been times where uh, we've been accused of being too biblical. I mean, is there such a thing? Uh, where the comment was made that we answer every life issue with the Bible. Yes. Yeah. 
That's what we want to do. That's a good thing. By his grace, we are spiritually fed and edified. But also physical. There's a physical well-being where we're provided for. We've spoke on this facility. You look and you see construction taking place. You see an old school building that doesn't look like an old school building anymore. And it is by God's grace that we have it. And we are so grateful to be here for that. But also, there's a second piece of this, and it's being a part of a family. A family. There have been a few times, some of you may know this, where we've had somebody uh, walk into the church, visit, and then leave, and we learn that they never, never going to come back because they didn't want to be known. They wanted to slide in and slide out. But instead, we are hardwired here to take a special interest in one another. And we see that. We see that. And so in some ways, I, I want to be careful here, but I almost celebrate that they acknowledge that, that this is a church where the body has a special interest in one another. That's a grace gift. For those we call our brothers and sisters in Christ, do you care for one another's spiritual and uh, physical needs as if it were truly family? Again, that's a, a grace gift. It's what grace looks like in a healthy church. And I I think there are many of you here who do, and it is a joy for us as your pastors to witness that kind of true fellowship that is, is taking root where it blossoms into loving service amongst one another here. So what is grace? What is grace? Grace is what inclines God to give good gifts, good and unmerited blessings. There is a common grace, as we said, for all humanity and a saving grace for those he calls his own. Grace upon grace. And what does grace look like? We can see grace spiritually and even physically here at Grace Life and in our lives as acts of kindness, all as a result of being from the God of grace. You know, may we grow in recognizing his grace, God's grace, in past grace gifts. Where would we be without him? Where would you be without his grace? And in present grace gifts, calling upon him in our time of need because he cares, because he is faithful. He is the God of grace. And certainly looking ahead to the promise of future grace. Our Heavenly Father has given us by his grace good gifts. He is the giver of every good thing and perfect gift, spiritually, physically. May we remain grateful for what he has done and is doing in the days to come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abounding grace, for your uh, sufficient grace, for your saving grace, personally as it's made its way into each of our lives, but also uh, collectively here in the local body of Grace Life Church. We, we thank you for our rich history of grace together over these years. 12 years today, together. And it's for his glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Well, thank you so much for all the work that went into our service today. It's not normally how we do things. Uh, Normally, we're much more traditional in our approach. But we wanted to 
give everyone, and if you're visiting here today, we wanted to give everyone a little bit of a flavor for what it's like to be a part of Grace Life Church. We had so many people involved in our service today, so many people that worked hard to put things together today for our service. And uh, while we love our church, we love the Lord of the church. And the Lord of the church is why we're here today. And uh, we are blessed beyond measure. I was looking at all the different ones who are part of the service today, and I was just thanking the Lord for each and every one of them, for our elders. Uh, These are some of the most fine men that I've ever met in my life. These are men who love God. These are men who want to serve Jesus Christ with their life. And I was thinking, you know, we have a unique and very special relationship. Uh, These guys are busy guys, except for Bruce. Bruce Bruce is retired, so he's not as busy. But these other guys are busy, busy men. And if I call them during the day, there's something that has come up in our church, or there's something that I think that they need to know. As busy as these guys are, they will pick up the phone. That's how committed they are to the Lord Jesus Christ in our church. And I am so grateful for each and every one of our elders and our deacons, those who minister in the body. Grace Life Church is a special, special church. And I especially want to say thank you to Pastor Flip. I, I wanted him to be a part of the service today in a special way. And he has been my partner in ministry for the last 12 years. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't choose another person in the world to have by my side than Pastor Flip. And so thank you, uh, not only for your friendship, but your ministry in my life and your ministry in the life of our church. Well, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm not going to be too awfully long today, but that's, uh, of course, the uh, kiss of death when a pastor says he's not going to be too awfully long <laughs> this morning. You know, I was thinking while you're turning, uh, 20% of my life, I've served as the lead pastor of Grace Life Church. One-fifth of the days that I've lived on this earth, I have been here serving in this capacity. I I had not thought of it that way. For some reason, uh, that came to my mind, and I thought, this really is a neat occasion as we celebrate our 12-year anniversary as a church. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 1. Again, I'm not going to be too awfully long today, but this past week, many of you know that Kathy and I were on a short vacation. We took a few days off, and we were up in New York. We stayed with some friends for a couple of nights up near Albany, and then we went over to Cooperstown to visit the Baseball Hall of Fame, something that's been on my bucket list my whole entire life. I loved that. And then we made our way up to Niagara Falls for a couple of nights, and we had a We had a wonderful time. Beautiful weather, 70 degrees, blue skies. Oh, it was just amazing. We spent one of the days over in on the Canadian side, then we spent another day on the American side. It was just uh, a really nice time for Kathy and I to get away. So thank you for praying for us as we were away. And if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, seeing the falls (laughs) is like an amazing display of the beauty and handiwork of God. It is mesmerizing. We just sat on a park bench for an hour looking at the falls. 
and reflecting upon the God who made those falls. It was a display of God's immense power. And as Kathy and I were walking the length of the falls on both the Canadian side and the American side, we took pictures from nearly every angle of these wonders of God's creation. When we did that, I was struck with the falls being a picture of God's amazing grace. It's a great illustration because God's grace is not only continually being poured out on us, but His grace is so powerful. It's so overwhelming. It's like watching the falls. We should be awestruck when we contemplate God's amazing grace. Well, as we consider this morning, how His grace should play out in our lives, I, I was drawn to this passage here in Philippians chapter 1, especially verses 27 through 30. And we might say that this is Paul's how-to manual to live the grace life. To live a life worthy or commensurate of the gospel of grace. Listen as I read verses 27 through 30 as the Apostle Paul calls on all believers to live a life that reflects the immense value of the gospel. Look at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that you too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. And so in a very succinct fashion this morning, there are three ways that we're to conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of grace. Or perhaps we can say it this way, there are three ways that we are to live the grace life. And the first way that we live the grace life is by standing together. Paul says it this way, by standing firm in one spirit and one mind. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. There's no mistaking here that Paul begins with the assumption that everyone who wants to live the grace life will be a part of a gospel-centered, Bible-believing local church. God's intent is that we live in community with other believers, that we practice the one another's each and every day. Of course, we know and understand that no local church is perfect because it's comprised of sinners like you and me. And Paul knows that, and he understands that, because he too was a sinner. I don't need to tell you that the local church today seemingly is swimming upstream against the tide of the culture. And part of the problem is there's been a reemergence of individualism in our culture like nothing we've ever seen before. Self-love, self-satisfaction, self-promotion, self-interest, and on and on 
we can go. It's self, self, self. You want to know what the culture's about? It's about you, right? Right? It's about you. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to act out in your life, it's all about you. But as we consider the Christian life, the grace life, it, it's not self. <laughs> it's Christ before self. It's others before self. The Christian life's not a selfish life. It's a selfless life. So right across the page in Philippians chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 5, we'll see that Paul wants to share a little bit more about the grace life. Look at verse 1. Therefore, if, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I think one of the themes that you heard about this morning is that individualism is the death knell of any church. Paul says the first way that Christians are to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of grace is to put aside individualism and join together with other believers in the church in unity, in community. Everyone putting the interest of Christ and others ahead of their own interests. In other words, it's not what we can get from the church. It's what we can give. There is unity in the church when we all desire to give and not get. It's not what we want. It's what Christ wants. The culture has tried to convince us that unity and loyalty shows weakness. Instead, we're to stand up against the leadership in our workplace or in our family or in our church. If you don't get what you want, protest. Rally others to your side. Well, you won't find the Scriptures promoting anything like that. Instead, we find a clarion call for unity, for submission to leadership and others, for selflessness, especially in the church. The description here is strong. Paul says, stand firm. In other words, don't let anyone or anything push you off the mark of unity. Stand firm. I used to coach basketball in a previous life. I coached high school basketball for 10 years. And um, the first day of practice, I would always have a demonstration. So I would call up the biggest, strongest guy that we had on the team, and I would bring him up, and I would have him stand next to me, and uh, I would have him stand with his feet close together like this, and I would come up next to him, and then I would just push him. And he would stumble over. My point was, you don't play basketball with your feet close together. There's an athletic stance. It doesn't matter if you're playing soccer or if you're playing football, if you're playing basketball, whatever sport you're playing, there's an athletic stance where your feet are shoulder width apart. Your knees are slightly bent. Your rear end is down a little bit. And this is when you are the strongest. And so then I would say to him, do those things. And so then he would do those things. And then I would push on him and I would push on him and he wouldn't move an inch. 
This is what Paul is saying here. This is the idea that he is sharing here, that we are to stand firm to be unified under the headship of Christ and his prescribed leadership in the church. Don't allow yourself to be persuaded to do otherwise. Stand firm together in one spirit and with one mind. And so if we want to talk about living the grace life, we must talk about it within the context of the local church. This is God's design. The Greek word for stand firm is a military word used for the soldier who's stationed at his, at his post. In other words, don't let anything move you from your mark, soldier. Don't let anything distract you from your mission, soldier. And in this case, Paul is saying the mission is to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of grace. First, by standing together. Secondly, we're to live the grace life by striving together. Look at verse 27, the second part, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. The word striving, the word for striving together is the Greek word son athleo. It means to, to labor or struggle together or to pull in the same direction as others. We think back when we were in school, and one of the, my more favorite things to do in gym class was when the gym teacher would get out that big long rope, and he would split the, the class in half, and half the class would be over there, and the other, class, other half of the class would be over here, and you would be pulling in tandem with the people on your team. And I think that's the idea that we have here. That's a picture of standing firm, striving together as the church, laboring together with others. And so what do we labor for? Do we labor for ourselves, for our own interests, for what we want? No, we we labor for the faith of the gospel of grace. So let's think about what unites us, because we do come from different families. We come from different geographical areas. We have different jobs. We have different hobbies. We live in different homes and different neighborhoods. But we have one thing in common that rises above all those differences. We have Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. It's Jesus that we have in common. It is the gospel that we have in common. It is our local church that we have in common. We are to strive together in unity for the faith of the gospel of grace. The proclamation of the gospel as we gather and the dissemination of the gospel as we scatter. Oh, we'll have opponents. Paul had opponents everywhere he went. The Philippian believers had opponents. We will have opponents. But Paul says, expect it. The more you live like Christ, the more you will be treated as he was treated. But he says, don't be alarmed by that. In other words, don't be frightened. Don't be terrified by your opponents. Expect that there will be people who will oppose you. But we are strongest when we stand firm together and strive together under the headship of Christ. Paul says their opposition to us and the things of God is a reminder of their impending destruction. And it's a reminder of our salvation that is ours in Christ. It's one thing 
to have a bunch of theology in our brains. We work hard at teaching the whole counsel of God. We work hard at teaching systematic theology. We work hard at trying to get into the depths of Scripture so that we can understand more about who God is and what He wants from us. And it's one thing to have a bunch of knowledge, a bunch of theology in our brains, but it's quite another to practice what we believe. And really, it's just information if we're not putting it into our lives, right? So just keep your finger here. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is in the context of Christian liberty, but the point is well taken. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. We, as God's people, can get caught up in obtaining knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge about God is good. Studying the Scriptures is really at the heart of our understanding of God. But gaining knowledge is not what we're to be about. We are to apply the knowledge that we have been given. We are to apply the knowledge that we learn in God's Word. Does this make sense? There are a lot of really smart people out there that know a lot about the Bible that aren't living for God. They're disobeying the clear, plain teaching of God's Word, but they can give you all of the theologies. They listen to podcasts. They read books. They're ensconced in going to conferences. They have a lot of knowledge. But do they love their brother? Do they serve their brother? You see, having knowledge is one thing. Putting it into practice is another. When we consider the grace life, we know that grace is the unmerited favor of God. God giving us something that we do not deserve. And so as we live that out, we live out a gracious, loving, serving life, a merciful life. Look, we we don't sweep theology, we don't sweep truth under the rug, but we trust in our God and we depend that He's in complete control of everything. We are to practice what we believe. So we can expect opposition from the world, Paul says. They will oppose God and His Word, and, and as we are obedient to Him and His Word, they will oppose us as well. The sad thing is when people within the church are disobedient to the Bible's call for unity. Disunity in the church energizes the unbelieving world. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way. They say, see, they're not all on the same page. They aren't as selfless as they'd like for us to think that they are. They're just like we are, the world says. This is when those who oppose the gospel cry, hypocrites, Disunity in the local church is just like an aggressive form of cancer. So if we want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of grace, we will not be alarmed by our opponents, Paul says. 
The third way that Paul gives us here, if we want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, is by suffering together. So look at verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So you remember that when Paul writes this epistle, this letter, he and Silas are both imprisoned in Philippi. It's one of the prison epistles. He's writing to the church at Philippi. The Philippians saw firsthand what it looks like to unjustly suffer for Christ. They knew what they had willingly signed up for when they repented of their sin and they placed their faith in Jesus as both Savior and Lord. It's interesting how Paul couches it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. He says this as he writes to his dear son in the faith, Timothy. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Meaning, the more we live like Christ lived, the more we will be treated as he was treated. And so how did Christ live? Well, he lived a life of sacrifice. He was holy. He loved sinners. He was kind and gracious and loving. But he was all about the truth. In fact, he was the truth. He is the truth. As we too are about the truth, as he was about the truth, we will face persecution. In what form, I don't know. This was written 2,000 years ago. The kind of persecution that the Philippians faced, the kind of persecution that Timothy faced, may look different than the persecution that we will face. It's sort of a follow-up to what Paul's saying about suffering. He reminds us that any suffering that would come our way would be for Christ's sake. And we should be good with that. In the same way he's granted us salvation by believing in Christ, he grants us the privilege of suffering for him. This word granted here is from the noun grace. It's from the noun grace. It's very interesting. Both believing and suffering are tied to God's granting of these gifts of grace. And we love that he grants us the faith to believe in Christ. Pastor Flip referred to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 this morning. It explains that both grace and the faith to believe are gifts from God. And as we've considered in our study of the Gospel of John, salvation is all of God. God the Father planned our salvation, God the Son provided our salvation, and God the Holy Spirit sealed our salvation. But our salvation is all of God. And so the only way to live the grace life is to give God all the glory for our salvation because it's all of His grace. And this is why Paul said that Christ is His life. Just across the page, Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And of course, Christ should be our life too because He is our Savior and Lord. I could stand here all day and tell you about our church. I love our church. It's the greatest honor of my life to serve as the lead pastor of Grace Life Church. And as Bruce said this morning, God's fingerprints has been all over our church from its inception. The church, the ecclesia, are the called out ones. So everything we've looked at here as we're talking about the grace life, it's all to be understood that 
we live the grace life in community with one another. Yes, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's talking about himself. But as he writes these words, he's writing to this church in Philippi, of which Paul is a major part, and all of the language that he speaks of here is all in community. I mentioned that I'm an old basketball coach, and in coaching circles, in sports circles, there's an acronym that's often used, and you'll see it on t-shirts, you'll see it used in different venues and things like that. It's the acronym TEAM, T-E-A-M. And what that stands for is together, everyone achieves more. Everyone achieves more when we're together. We, we need each other in the body of Christ. There's an old saying that there's no I in team. I want to close by taking you back to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, just to read a passage as we close our time together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. Paul's writing to the messed up church at Corinth. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. I don't know about you, but I'm empowered by the reality that I'm a recipient of the grace of God. No one can take me out of His hand. God loves those who have trusted in Him for the forgiveness of sin. He desires to use us for His purposes. He desires for us to live in community with one another in the local church context. This is the grace life. It's just real life. It's just living under the banner and the freedom of God's wonderful, amazing grace. I'm very thankful. I'm very humbled to be standing here before you and standing here before you each and every Sunday. But I'm reminded that it's not about us. (laughs) It's all about the Lord. It's all about Him. If you do not know Christ as your Savior today, as we said last week, and we really emphasize what Scripture has to say about today is the day of salvation. Examine your life to see if you're in the faith. Paul was very clear. Lived a life of debauchery and just lived a life of trying to persecute all that was good, to persecute the church. And then the Lord got a hold of him, changed his life. And the Lord has gotten a hold of us and he's changed our life. We have new desires. We have um, new ways of living because of what God has done for us. So let me encourage you to examine your life if you're an unbeliever, and if you're a believer, to ask yourself, are you living the grace life? Are you living a life that is gracious to others and loving, serving others? 
so grateful for our church. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father, as we've considered just briefly this morning what it's like to live the grace life, we're grateful for your abundant grace, for your sustaining grace. Your saving grace blows us away that you would even consider saving a person like us. And yet you have. And then you have empowered us to live the grace life. So Lord, may may we do that. May we do that together in community, as your word says, in unity, under the banner of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for his amazing gift that you have given to us in his person. And Lord, may we honor him and you all the days of our lives. Thank you for our church. Thank you for uh, all who make up Grace Life Church. Thank you for each and every individual, for all the families that are represented here today. We're so grateful and so thankful. Please continue to work in and through us as we tarry on until you come. We thank you and praise you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.